Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you. Thursday, June 2nd, and uh, a really interesting show this morning. Uh, we're going to focus on uh, a little bit of cricket, of course. We have to, don't we? It's 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, that that first test match begins between New Zealand and England at the home of cricket. Of course, you can get ball-by-ball commentary here on SCNZ starting from 9pm. Uh, so I'm going to talk to Tim Wigmore. Now, Tim is a celebrated cricket writer, written many, many cricket books, amongst other things, and uh, is a cricket writer also for The Telegraph newspaper. So we'll talk to Tim very shortly. Uh, we've got uh, a pacing uh, for purpose uh, horse for you before 10 o'clock as well. After 10, talk to Ohio West. Uh, Ohio, of course, former Hawks Bay, Blues, Hurricanes, uh, number 10. Uh, as part of the La Rochelle side, kick four out of four, actually, as La Rochelle won the European Championship over Leinster at the weekend. That is a massive result for La Rochelle Rugby Club and the people of La Rochelle. We'll hear about that just after 10 o'clock. I've got a panel with Mark Watson and Guy Havelt uh, around 10.25. Uh, and after four minutes, uh, after it's about four minutes past 11, we've got it as Jack Jordan. Uh, Jack Jordan, this is an interesting story. A former Taranaki lock, now sheep and beef farmer. Uh, he is the Timber Sports World Champion, just like that. He is the Timber Sports World Champion. Uh, what an interesting subject to talk about. Uh, we'll talk to Jack Jordan after 11 o'clock. A stump by Smithy uh, around about 11.30 just after. Uh, a greyhound pick for the week as well. Uh, so, yep, we've got plenty to get through, and we should really get on with it, shouldn't we? Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, a penny for the thoughts of our Baz tonight as he prepares his England squad for day one of the first test against us at Lords. He will feel weird. Mixed emotions will flow. Might not admit it, but they will. I'm not sure if they sing the national anthems for this test, but if they do, he might sing both. I would. I mean, she's my queen as well, and I'm pretty proud of that. And as he looks across the Lords ground, thriving with activity, pre-match, he'll see the opposition chock full of blokes He's been to war with himself. Williamson, Southey, close friends, former confidants, and now he's plotting their downfall. The eyes of England, including the establishment, which is Lords, will be on Baz and his shiny New England tracksuit and cap, and as he eases into his work, he will further discover the magnitude of the task that he has taken on. He's never shirked the challenge. He won't shirk this one. It's one of the best views in sport, you know, the players' balcony at Lords oversees a splendid scene, a unique, unique atmosphere, one you dream of experiencing as a visitor, but very few ever get to look out 
from both balconies. The home side carries a real good deal of pressure, especially in these underwhelming times of the Three Lions. It's not a new thing, indeed a very common place for coaches to ply their trade around the world, but it is for their coaches to be superstars on the field of play. Baz is a rare breed, and his first task is against us. We are the target. It's like if Richie or Dan were coaching the Wallabies, plotting our downfall. It would feel a lot different to, say, a Dave Rennie. We naturally feel a lot more ownership of our heroes, so when he strolls out uh, through those grace gates in a matter of hours, Baz will have plenty on his mind, but his first priority may be to remember to turn right when he gets to the back of the famous member's stand. The right staircase leads to the home dressing room for Baz a new home. That will be a start of uh, a really weird morning for him. Yep, a penny for his thoughts. Indeed, a penny for his thoughts. Well, England and Brendan McCullum have named their first 11 for the first test against the Black Caps. Uh, there's some new names in there facing off against his former teammates' his, uh, role as the new England coach. McCullum will be feeling nervous. There's plenty of intrigue in this series, you know, for us here in New Zealand, but also over in the UK as the era of Baz and Stokes begins. It all gets underway tonight from 10pm our time with ball-by-ball ball coverage here on this very station. Well, the Telegraph's Tim Wigmore is uh, one such cricket writer who's been uh, showing a lot of interest in this from an English point of view. Tim is a celebrated uh, cricket writer. Many, many books uh, he's put to uh, uh, to pen, to, to paper over over the years. Uh, he also, of course, uh, works for the Telegraph as uh, one of their chief cricket writers. Also got a book now as well called uh, Cricketomics, The Anatomy of Modern Cricket. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for staying up uh, this late for us. Thank you. Oh, cheers, Smith. No, it's only it's ten o'clock here, so it's it's not 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 too late here yet. Not too late. Okay, that's cool. Uh, no. Look, uh, highly anticipated on on this <laughs> side of the world for a number of reasons. We're involved, Tim, of course, uh, uh, and there's a slightly new twist to it. Of course, um, we don't really have a lot of ownership over Ben Stokes. He left here as a young kid, but he has he's New Zealand born, of course. But Baz, we know Brendan McCullum, we know very very well. He works on the station, or he used to. Um, so there's uh, a, a real amount of interest. What about from England's point of view at this time, the way they're playing? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously been a pretty terrible kind of era for English Test cricket. So they won one uh, test in the last 17. Um, and there's been a real kind of culture of kind of negativity about the team. Everyone feeling very, very down. Um, obviously, when everyone gets dumped in the ashes, which is happening, which happens quite a lot, you get a big kind of existential crisis of English cricket with all parts of it kind of being taken apart, really. Um, and I suppose one of the... The big appeals of Brendan McCullum to England is, you know, they, the template, which was basically England and white ball cricket, kind of really copying New Zealand after the World Cup in 2015 when England crashed out and New Zealand got to the final. Um, and there's been, yeah, the real hope is that something similar can, something similar to that can happen. Um, obviously, sort of England learning from New Zealand and also just generating more kind of sense of optimism around the team. It's been really, really bleak for, for, quite, for quite a while now. And just injecting that kind of new spirit um, into the team is, is, is the start of it. It's obviously going to be a long job. There's not going to be quick fixes here. But um, the mood certainly around the camp is is different. 
What about the mood um, amongst sports fans uh, and in the public itself? Have they been readily accepted of this new hierarchy in the English team? So I think a lot of people have kind of fallen out of love with, with the England team, the England test team anyway, um, and therefore there's sort of a sense of let, let's give this let's give this a chance. I think, you know, we know that uh, Brendan, obviously, he's never coached a first-class game before. There's clearly an element of risk there, as England hierarchy, as Rob Key, the managing director, has admitted. But I think there's a sense of, you know, whatever we were doing before was not working. So trying a very different approach, yeah, kind of why not? What do we have to lose? And I suppose for, for McCullough, I mean, if you're taking over a team, one win from 17, that is taking a team at rock bottom. So almost anything that happens now uh, it kind of can't be worse than that and I suppose, and I suppose the hope is England are where New Zealand were when they were bowled out for 45 in McCullum's first test as captain in South Africa in 2013 that's that's the hope anyway I would imagine both uh, Stokes and uh, McCullum are, are pretty happy that uh, you know this test match is starting very shortly uh, because at least uh, now we can get about the business of actually playing cricket so Pressure goes off them a little bit in that regard in terms of what of expectation. Uh, Stokes as a leader, what are you envisaging there? So again, we don't, you know, we've we've got a coach who's never coached in first class cricket. We've got a captain who's only captained in one game before, actually, which is a test against West Indies in twenty twenty, which England lost. Um, but clearly, he's yeah, he's regarded as actually smart tactically. He's obviously someone who doesn't like to take a backward step. But if you look at his batting, actually, you know, for all. His, his array of shots and stuff, you know, he's a very, he's actually a very shrewd test batsman. He he doesn't only play in one way. So I don't think we're, we're not expecting kind of a team who kind of charged down the pitch all the time as, as McCollum sometimes did himself as a test batsman. But I think, I think we're, we're, we're expecting England to be a bit, bit more positive. Some, some of the bowlers already talked about how the emphasis will be on trying to bowl the team out in, in less time, even if that means um, conceding a few more, more runs per over. So that sort of approach. Um, again, not not dissimilar to probably what we saw under McCollum's test captain's captaincy with, with New Zealand, albeit Kane Williamson has probably led the team in a slightly different way. He has certainly has uh, slightly more conservative. I think we'll all agree on that. Uh, Tim Wigmore, we're talking to from the Daily Telegraph, of course, almost also a, a very celebrated uh, writer uh, in his own right, away from uh, the actual ground aspect of things. So, Tim, uh, let's look at this uh, England eleven that has been named. Uh, Stokes obviously captaining uh, Alex Lee's at uh, the top of the order tell us a wee bit about uh, this fellow well so he's someone who's done kind of alright without being amazing in county cricket for the last few years and then he played in the West Indies where he kind of he stuck in he got stuck in he faced a lot of balls but didn't get get into the 40s even um, so I think as a, as a left-hander as well Tim Southey obviously a very good bowler to left-handers that will be a challenge for him he's probably one of those guys who has a bad series and he he he's probably out, out out of the door so he'll be under pressure and so will his partner Zach Crawley who actually had a very torrid time against New Zealand in the series a, a year ago um, especially kind of just nicking off outside of stump playing his booming drives so it'll be interesting to mm. see whether he can improve on that performance this time a lot of focus too on uh, Ollie Pope uh, who hasn't quite delivered at five or uh, even at six at times so what about the confidence for him to succeed at number three? Yeah, it's it's certainly a big call. I think so. His numbers in the county championship are unbelievable. You know, which is sixty nine for Surrey, incredible numbers. Um, but he hasn't been able to transform that, uh, transfer that over to England so far, averaging twenty eight 
so far in test matches and he's looked looked jittery at times changing his technique changing his guard he actually got bound he, he got bold leg stump in his last last ashes test um so it looked a bit frenetic um but very very talented and yeah he's he's gone up to three which is partly partly because it's a show of faith in him it's partly because they decided they wanted Joe Root at, at four they decided they wanted Stokes at six Bairstow at five and they wanted to get Pope in the team and it was the only slot but yeah very talented player. This is a gamble. This is a guy who's never batted in the top three in first class cricket at all. Um, so to be doing that on a potentially coming in at five for one in the second over um, tomorrow, um, yeah, it will be a, a new challenge for him. The issue of uh, Joe Root batting at four, Tim, is uh, an interesting one because often you, you look at the role he had to play as captain as well, and, and he was in so early throughout the Ashes. Uh, all of a sudden, he's no longer the captain, but also dropped down the order uh, by one slot. What what do you make of that? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting one. He's he's constantly been going to three and back again, really, since 2015, 20, 20, 2016. Um, he actually batted at three in the West Indies, moved back up there, got two centuries, then he failed twice in the kind of low-scoring game, which, which was the series decider. Um, but he's always really admitted that he prefers batting at four, um, and I think the, the thinking there is just about him where he's going to get the, the most runs because he's sort of been, when he was at three, I guess, he was protecting players at four and five who weren't really making the most of that protection. Whereas if you can keep Root away from the from the new ball, he's obviously a fan, fantastic player. So they've just decided, you know, that's his best position. I think he, he will stay there now. And similarly with Ben Stokes, actually, he was, he was batting at five and now he said he wants to go down to six. So I think England like having that very experienced core at, f- at four and six and kind of um, putting the rest of the batting order a- around them. Um, and we might see might see a return for Joss Butler at, um, in time. That's also possible. Mm. Um, McCullum has, has kind of said we'd like him to come back potentially at some point. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. Of course, prolific IPL series. Fantastic for Joss Butler. Question mark, though, over his, over his test match betting. No question mark, though, uh, Tim, over the performance over the years of uh, Stuart Broad and James Anderson, who are clearly uh, towards the end, not the beginning. Uh, what do you make of this combination back together again? I mean, I, I imagine it's the people's choice. Is it yours? Um, it is, but that's partly because kind of there is no one else. It's a bit of last man standing. England, by my count, have eight bowlers who'd be in the mix, including Mark Wood, Ollie Robinson, Chris Wokes, Sam Curran, who are all out of this. So... Um, almost by the process of elimination, you're left with the two with the two old guard. Um, they were both dropped in the West Indies, which was was a pretty harsh call, probably especially on Anderson, but really on Broad as well. Um, and now they're coming back, but they did attract some criticism before for being a little bit defensive in their lengths with the new ball, sometimes bowling a little bit too short to avoid being being driven. And, and Broad actually said that they're going to try and be slightly more attacking with their bowling, which suggests they might try and pitch it up a bit more. So that would be an interesting aspect as well. But clearly, two amazing bowlers, Len Hunter Wickets between them. Um, you're excited to start in. And, and I know England have become kind of, at times in the past, weirdly obsessed with planning for the future, which normally involves the next Ashes. I think now, now it's actually been quite damaging. Mm. I think now they just want to do whatever it takes to try and win. And clearly, as Anderson and Broad, uh, they give them the best chance of winning this, this match and need to find a way to stop the rot, basically. Well, uh, Ben Stokes is from Durham, and he's managed to squeeze another Durham player in there in Matthew Potts. Uh, tell us a wee bit about this uh, this player. Yeah, he's making his, his debut. Um, he's he bowls fairly quick, so sort of mid mid high eighties, not not sort of 
rapid rapid um but yeah he he got a, he's got a, a, a good bounce quite a, a feisty cricketer um and he's just seen as offering a, a bit of a point point of difference the alternative was craig overton who's probably a little bit too similar to, to Stuart Broad to have them, them both in the team. So, yeah, and then Potts has been the informed bowling counter cricket. He, he deserves a shot, but again, he's if you're being kind of brutal, he's sort of probably batting this 10th Troy Seymour, given they've got so many ones they'd love to have, including Joffre Archer, who are all injured for various reasons. Do you think the crowd will come, Tim? Uh, there have been t- some talk about low ticket sales, and Lords is usually, you know, the, the blue ribbon event uh, early in the season. Do you think they'll come? Well, no, that, I mean, there's, I think there's reports of about 15,000 tickets over the first four days, um, which haven't been sold yet. So that is a lot. Um, I mean, Laws has been a bit greedy, you know. Um, the, the, the remaining tickets I was looking, you know, for under 16, some of them 110 quid. This is absolute nuts. Um, so they have been a bit greedy. And there's talk of it's the Queen's Jubilee, and that's um, meaning a lot of people away from, from London and, yeah, people who might otherwise come. But I think Lords are being a bit greedy. I mean, it would still be a, it would still be a pretty good crowd. It won't be a terrible crowd or anything. But um, the fact we, we still have tickets available for tomorrow, which you wouldn't normally have, um, is a bit of a concern. Cricketomics is the book, The Anatomy of Modern Cricket. Uh, in that, you, you discuss the issue of uh, concussion, uh, amongst uh, many other things. Uh, what did you find when you, you delved into the concussion problem within cricket, possibly? Yeah, so basically, if you look at concussion, um, what happened in Australia before and after the death of, of Philip Hughes, there was a, a sort of tenfold spike per season in, concu- in incidents of concussion in, in the men's professional game. And basically what, what clearly happened is there's no evidence that there was actually more concussions being sustained. It was just people were so much more on it with, with being reported. Um, and if you look around the world, um, countries are often still very bad at reporting concussions. So there's huge, there's actually a lot of concussions since that happen and don't ever get get uh, reported. We we you know looking at our numbers, we think there's about uh, you know, 40 incidents of concussion every year in the the men's men's professional game, which is a major concern. Actually, in the mm. women's game as well, um, per ball bowled, uh, women are substantially more likely to uh, sustain concussion than, than men. Um, so that's actually going to become a growing issue as well. And obviously, we've seen in sports like American football where you have impacts of con- of a number of concussions down the line. Um, and that could be a real issue for cricket. We've seen with, with Will Pukowski, the young Australian opener, he's already got 11 concussions and he's, mm. he's 24. So it's been pretty unlucky, but it, it does show the risks of kind of repeated blows to the head. The anatomy of modern cricket suggests you uh, have put a white coat on, uh, perhaps uh, got a scalpel out and really dissected the game. Is that the case? Yeah, so it's with it was co-written with Stefan Shemynski, who some of your listeners might know as the author of Soconomics, which was a similar book on on football. Um, so yeah, we've we've gone into into all issues. Um, we we actually have a a chapter on the rise of New Zealand, which is a very important story actually, given we're kind of in the age of the the big three in Australia and controlling the game. And New Zealand have actually mm-hmm. shown there's a way to com- compete on the field despite the sort of games whole whole structure really being set up against them. Tim, uh, absolute uh, pleasure talking with you, getting a bit more insight into those new players too from, uh, you know, from the England camp. Uh, it's, it's a lot of interest here, of course, uh, not, and it's added to, of course, because of, of uh, Brendan's involvement. I mean, uh, as I said uh, slightly earlier before I got to you, uh, it's not uncommon for coaches to uh, go and work for somebody else, to coach somebody else. It is quite unusual, though, when they are a superstar in their own country, isn't it? 
Yeah, and um, and obviously only retired, actually only retired from playing completely right, three three years ago and only from New Zealand six, um, 2016. Um, so it mm. will feel strange. Obviously, Kay Williamson sort of gave that a dead bat as as you probably would would expect. But I think I think it will it will be a little bit bizarre. Um, and yeah, we have that Kiwi element. I mean, as um, I think Kane said today, because with Dan Vittori being assistant coach of Australia, um, there is that kind of Kiwi element in a few other teams as well. And in the, the next Ashes as well, there'll be that kind of Kiwi sub, 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 subplot. So yeah, it's odd. I mean, it, it is part of course, just what, what happens in one game, but it's, yeah, it's also because England have been pretty, pretty keen on this New Zealand template. And you know, they basically said the England problem is a culture problem. And McCollum is the best man to fix the culture. That really is why he was appointed. Tim Wigmore, thank you very much for your time uh, this evening, uh, London time, and uh, look forward to uh, getting hold of a copy of Cricketomics, uh, the uh, Anatomy of Modern Cricket. Sounds very, very interesting indeed. Thank you for uh, taking part in our show this morning, New Zealand time. Thanks, Tim. Cheers, Smithy. All the best. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Tim Wigmore there, of course, uh, also writes uh, for The Telegraph as well. You'll be able to get online and watch his stories, his review of uh, daily play in this test match, his review overall of uh, where um, Brendan McCullum is at in his first job uh, coaching England. Uh, a real task, a real task for him, but immense interest. Uh, 9.23 here on SENZ. Brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.29 coming up to the news. After the news, of course, we shall open up our lines, uh, everybody. 0800-150811. You will be uh, in the draw to win a chemist warehouse voucher for $50. Uh, today's subject, quite simple for me, uh, might be for you as well. Just your gut feeling about this test match. Let's uh, just ring up and we'll have a chat about it. How do you feel uh, about it now that uh, the day has come? We all talked about the speculation, Baz being the coach, etc. Stokes the captain. Uh, Kane Williamson coming back from uh, the IPL without any red cricket ball play really this year, this calendar year. Um, no Trent Bolt. Uh, so what's your gut feeling here? I mean, we're uh, we're certainly more highly rated uh, in terms of uh, the way people think and the way England have played lately. But is that the case? Is that what you really think? So uh, open up the lines just after the news coming up. 0800 what is your gut feeling on this test match? How do you think it's going to play out? Love to talk to you about it. Uh, but in the meantime, here's Araha with the news. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yeah, subject for today is uh, the cricket test uh, tonight, starting at Lords, um, and uh, of course, what your gut feeling is. How do you think uh, now that all uh, the talk about preparations, etc., is uh, done and dusted? How do you think it's going to go? Uh, is the toss vital? Uh, how do you think it's going to dominate from four-one uh, this evening? Um, what are the factors uh, involved there? So there's that. There's also your predictions for this weekend of Super Rugby. Yeah, it starts, of course, tomorrow night with the Crusaders and the Reds. And then on throughout the weekend, uh, New Zealand sides uh, three at home. And then, of course, uh, the, the Hurricanes going to Canberra to, to try and knock over the Brumbies. So uh, predictions for Super Rugby quarterfinals as well. Bruce is on the line from Christchurch. Good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning, Ian. Um, I, I haven't done a lot of prep for this, but I'll, I'll, 
I'll open by saying to all our sports fans, be careful what you wish for. We um, over the last few seasons, yep. over the last few seasons, we've um, become a bit bored with our Super Rugby because of the lack of competition from Australia. And all I've heard um, in the last year or so, it's well, good to see Australian teams have probably performed a wee bit better and the matches are not a inevitable result before they start and all this sort of thing. Remember who you support, remember your grassroots, remember your home team and support it, go along, support the gate because we certainly need it after the last couple of years of hardship. Um, if, and I write this to cricket as well, as much as I fondly admire Brendan McCallum, and he's got a new role, and I wish him all the best, my home is still at New Zealand, and I absolutely want the Black Cats to whip the English side and not give them, not even let them in the door, open the gate. They'll be wanting to rebound and start start a new era, um, but I don't want I don't want our team to make it easy, and I, I hope they just solely concentrate on their efforts and try to perform and show what they can do, and that should take care of it. On I, I believe um, I'm not sure this test will have a result because. Unfortunately, the last two or three days, the weather is not looking very good. Um, I hope not all our fans, but that's how it looks. Um, I've been to Lords a couple of times. It's an amazing place mm. to watch cricket. And certainly, like you know, the um, um, that amazing home crowd, uh, there's very little like it. And the atmosphere and the, the buzz and the fervor that goes on there is, is quite unique. And it does lift uh, the home team for sure. But just remember last year in our second test, it wasn't at Wolves, it was at Birmingham. We we um, we won that. And we won it um, with a few players. Conway, Young, Blundell, Mitchell, Wagner, Henry, Patel. And they performed outstandingly to um, to limit the English side in the second innings. I think 120 or something they only made. So I believe in our guys and I wish them luck and um, I'm sure they can um, remember that match and um, use it wisely to, sh- to move forward and show their, their current form. Bruce, thanks so much for your call. I look forward to uh, perhaps seeing you um, tomorrow night at uh, Christchurch. Of course, Crusaders against the Reds. Uh, sounds like you're going to be there um, bright and early. So uh, wish you all the best for that. And yes, of course, uh, I totally concur with your thoughts there um, on the Black Caps. Uh, no Brendan really well, um, like a bit of a son, actually. I've, I've spent so much time with him. But here's the thing. Um, we've got to beat him. We have to beat him. It's as simple as that. John from Auckland joins us now. John, uh, good morning to you. Hey, morning, Smithy. Hey, is there any chance we can actually make the next World Test final? Or is there no chance at yep. all? 
We have to win this series and uh, really we're, to get back uh, into where we should be on the table, we probably have to win it 2-0, John. I think uh, by losing those two test yeah. matches at home, we lost a lot of ground, particularly the Bangladesh. Most sides will beat Bangladesh. So we lost we lost a lot of ground there. So, uh, John, in, in all honesty, we have to do very well in this series. If we don't, if we lost this series, I think we're done. Toast. Yeah, because I understand that we've got another big series in Pakistan. Uh, test series, so um, you know, I don't. Uh, have we ever won a test series in Pakistan? So no, um, uh, no, we haven't. Uh, hell of a place to try and go to win. I can promise you that. Yeah. So, so this really, um, if New Zealand want to defend their title, like you said, they really need to start strong. Um, we talked about yesterday that we there's a few areas there that we're quite concerned about, especially when they played at home this year. But I think. With the inclusion of of our captain Kane Williamson, um, you know he's been in the IPL. Uh, he knows what it's all about. He's played at Lords dozens dozens of times. Most of this team has. Um, I know we were we were all talking about leaving the Gron home out yesterday, but I think the last mm. couple of performances he's had at Lords have been some of the best he's ever played. So I'm like, hmm, do you leave him out or do you leave Mitchell out? It's quite a conundrum to go into a first test, but it's a good conundrum, as you would know, Smithy. John, I think they'll both play. Uh, just looking from the outside in, and I'm like like you, I'm about 20,000 kilometres away, but um, I look, uh, in Colin de Gronholm, they have trusted for quite some time uh, when he's been fully fit. They just like him as the balance. Um, and also, of course, they also uh, have, have basically said Daryl Mitchell's going to come in for Henry M- uh, Henry Nichols, I, John. Thanks for your call. I I think from where, uh, from what I'm reading from here, they will both play, and the other spot up for grabs may well be Jameson against Wagner. Uh, that that's uh, how I look at it from this far out. Uh, thanks, uh, John. As always, uh, Scott from Wellington. Scott, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. How you going? Yeah, cool, mate. Really looking forward to tonight. I must say. Oh, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, you know, how often can you go into a test match against England feeling a little bit confident? Obviously not being overconfident, but, um, you know, thinking thinking about the top order that we've got, looking at it compared to their top order, um, you know, if we do uh, go into bat first, um, quietly confident that we can obviously post a decent total and... Um, and obviously with, with our bowlers, it's, it's a bit disappointing that obviously Bolte won't be playing in this game. Um, but I still think we've got the, uh, the bowlers there to obviously pick up the, their first 10 wickets and, and hopefully go into our second innings with a bit of a lead. Um, but it will be interesting because obviously Kane, Kane's um, been playing in the IPL and, and hasn't really played Test Match cricket for a little while with his elbow. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and obviously neither of these two teams have played... Uh, I think the English team was March last time they played a test, and, and obviously we were the end of February um, against uh, mm. South Africa. So um, it's it's I feel that we slightly had the edge, and I think that's to obviously do with our top order. Um, but I think we can't you know, underestimate uh, Broad and Anderson, um, obviously playing at home in their conditions as well. And and I think you're right in terms of. Um, Colin de Gronholm and, and Daryl Mitchell, I think they will both play. Um, it gives, obviously, the, the, the difference with um, de Gronholm bowling. And, I mean, if he gets going with the bat, uh, fingers crossed, you know, he can change the game pretty quick. I think a lot of this test match, is, uh, for me, uh, Scott, is just how well Anderson and Broad bowl. Uh, 
I mean, because they're the kind of guys which will inspire this side um, to to greater heights. If New Zealand, if uh, Will Young, Tom Latham, Kane Williamson can deny them success in those first two hours, that first session when they have to face them doesn't have to be tonight. Um, New Zealand, New Zealand might bowl first. Um, but when they come to bat first, that first hour, hour and a half of Anderson and Broad, they'll probably bowl five, six overs each. If they don't get any success or they just get the one and uh, they haven't had the major breakthrough that they're searching for, I think that that is uh, going to have a major impact on the game. Look for that to be a real key area. Thank you for your call. Richard from Omaru. Richard, uh, pleasure to speak to you. Hey, Smithy, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this uh, test match tonight. So it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, how England kind of claw back after a pretty low point in their, in their test arena at the moment with, you know, Brendan McCullum as coach and Stokes as captain. And But I think, you know, from your previous callers that I think we do look stronger on the on the batting side, you know, because uh, outside um, Joe Roos and uh, Stokes and Bearstow, like they're still kind of, kind of developing their you know their top order and stuff but um yeah i think when you look at our our test 11 i mean you know henry nichols won't be playing because he's still kind of recovering from his injury so you see daryl mitchell at five and then you've got you know um blundell at six and colin at seven and then you kind of i think a lot of debate's been going on with the bowlers i mean i think we're very fortunate enough um smithy that yeah, it's a shame that probably Trent Bolt won't be playing, but we do have the bowlers waiting in the wings. Like, we've got Matt Henry and the way he performed against South Africa, and you've got, you know, unfortunately Kyle Jameson wasn't at his best at home, but I think he'll do well with the Duke ball. And then you've got Neil mm. Wagner and you've got um, Tim Southey. But I think one thing I definitely want to, 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 to see is having is, um, playing HS Patel, because I think I still, I still think that, you know, in the past, we've, I feel that we're still kind of looking at being too much of a one-dimensional side and I think that going forward I think we've got the bowlers I mean we only need to have three three seamers and an all-rounder and you know I think we've got the bowlers to, to play uh, a, a spinning option and with England bringing up their test level last night they're still um, sacrificing a seam bowler for a spinner and I think you know with Ajaz Patel and the way he's performed I think um, he should play what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think a play. I, I really do. And I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, about the influence of Patel in this uh, particular series. Um, what Baz will plot and Stokes will plot uh, is the English batsman when Patel comes on. If they're in reasonably good shape, England will go after Ajaz Patel. They want to make sure he doesn't settle. They don't want him to bowl 20 overs for 35 runs. Uh, they will go at Ajaz Patel and put him under a lot of pressure. That will be the McCullum, the Stokes way particularly if they get through our quicker bowlers. Uh, thank you, Richard, for your call this morning. And very quickly, Zaid, you have the last say. Uh, good morning. Um, on the Black Caps uh, England series, I'm not sure if it's an option, but I think definitely um, uh, there should be an option of New Zealand to win or a draw. Um, just with the weather, knowing England, uh, usually uh, there's always rain around when you're playing in England. And um, on... on um, I think I think New Zealand's got the edge on England because we've got a settled team where England don't. They're, they're struggling with their openers. Um, as you were talking to that, uh, Tim before um, from England, he was saying uh, Zach Crawley, he's always struggled. They've got some new kid, what's his name, Alex? Uh, mm, Lees, Alex Lees, yeah. 
Um, mm. Obviously, Braun and Anderson have been around forever. But, um, yeah, I just think, like, New Zealand's got a bit more chemistry. You know, you've got Wool Young and Latham are set. You've got Kane Williamson. When he's in form, he's in form. Devin Conway, the way he played at Laws last year, getting 200. Um, Darren Mitchell's not a bad batter. Then you've got Blundell, and then you've got our real good bowlers. Um, and if I, if, I was to, if I was to choose between Wagner and Jamison, I would choose Wagner because he, he never stops giving effort. He, if he told him to bowl 25, 25, 30 overs without stopping, he just gives you, um, even that time he broke his toe, um, he, they couldn't get him off the field. He just wanted to keep going and keep going. He's got that tenacity of never giving up. Um, but, yeah, I think, if, I think it's either going to be a New Zealand win or a draw. I can't think England quite winning yet. Um, it's only McCullum's first test. I don't think they've quite got the chemistry set where Gary Stead's been coaching New Zealand for a long time and we know that we can beat them at Lords because we beat them last year. So I think um, New Zealand should be going in the favourites. I know they're not the favourites, but they should be going in the favourites as they beat them there last year. And England's only won one test match in their last 17. And so I think that New Zealand should be going in as the favourites. I know they're not. Thank you very much, Zaid. Outstanding thoughts there and agree with pretty much all you had to say there. And thank you so much for all your calls this morning. Uh, the boys will make a decision on the winner for the Chemist Warehouse voucher for $50 very shortly. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Yeah, Harness Racing, uh, Pacing for Purpose this week for us. Uh, we go to Addington tonight, actually, race 10. It is number three, Geordie. Uh, nice one, two starts back, can win again. Uh, we are told that's the form line. Uh, I looked across at the market for it, and Geordie with uh, John Dunn and the Sulky is paying $2.70. $2.70, it's drawn three, so uh, has the option to lead if uh, good enough, uh, and uh, paying $2.70. So that is our pacing for purpose uh, horse for this week. Of course, proceeds go to our charity, Women's Refuge. And just before uh, 11, uh, 10 o'clock this morning, uh, coming up in about five or six minutes' time, we'll have a, a multi for you for today. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Still alive in yesterday's Multi, actually. Uh, Katsarina beat uh, Kudamedova uh, last night in the tennis at $1.50. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays got up and beat the Chicago White Sox uh, 6-5, and that was uh, $1.59 return. And at the moment, uh, there's a live tennis game going, and it's Rude vs. Rune. Uh, we have got Casper Rude to beat Rune at $1.45, and at the moment uh, he is about to take the third set, and that'll be two sets to one in favour of Casper Rude. So we're on track to get that multi. Uh, our one for uh, tonight is uh, an interesting one. The Cowboys to beat uh, the Titans at $1.55. Coco Goff to beat uh, Martina Trevisan in the women's tennis at the French Open at $1.30. The Yankees to beat the Angels uh, MLB this afternoon uh, at $1.52. And uh, Nadal, fresh from yesterday, hopefully fresh from yesterday, 
uh, when he beat up on uh, Djokovic to beat Zarev this afternoon or later this evening at $1.29. Return for that, $3.95. After the break, Ihaya West out of Hawke's Bay. Yep, out of Hawke's Bay. All the way to, the way to La Rochelle and all the way to the European Championship final. He's next. This New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, rugby now and uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning, our time, uh, at Stade Velodrome Marseille. Fantastic result for uh, the La Rochelle Rugby Club uh, when they won the European Championship by knocking over Leinster, the hot favourites, 24-21. Playing at 10 for them was... Ohio West, a player we know very well back here in New Zealand, of course, uh, appearances for New Zealand Maori, 58 Super Games combined for the Blues and the Hurricanes, and of course, uh, a Hawks Bay player as well. Over 90 appearances now uh, with La Rochelle going back to 2018. Uh, Ohio, uh, good evening to you. Uh, France time, French time. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, what a performance. Uh, how, how big is it in La Rochelle? Hey Smithy, thanks for having me, mate. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a massive, massive few days for not only us, the players, but for the club and the and the whole city. Um, it was a massive achieve, achievement for us, and something that the the city and the club have been waiting for for the last few years now, with the rise of the club and the team and everything. So, um, yeah, the celebrations have been huge. Uh, I don't know if you've seen anything, but we had a parade on the port, and um, you know, there was thirty five thousand people there cheering us on and welcome, welcoming us back into the into the city. So, yeah, it's just massive for, for us in the city as well. Look, it's about 75,000 people uh, live in La Rochelle, which is not too many more than uh, Napier or Hastings-Havelock combined, uh, and you know those areas very well. But uh, I, I look at that kind of reaction and, and I just see a passion that we don't really often see in New Zealand, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I 100% have to agree, agree with that, like, before I came over to France, I'd heard a lot about, you know, the support and the crowds that they get at the games. But once you experience it firsthand, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. And, um, you know, this club only sort of came up to the top division eight years ago. And we saw the the um, celebrations they had when they got promoted. And um, that was sort of a driving force behind us, sort of wanting to bring a, a trophy back to the, to the city. And, um, yeah, it didn't disappoint when we did. The, the port, like I said before, was was just uh, pumping and it was crazy and it's, it's been an awesome, awesome few days. Hi, they say this in sport that you've got to know how to uh, lose a final before you know how to win one. You lost this corresponding final last year very closely to Toulouse, which was heartbreaking, uh, 22-17. You win it this year, you come from behind right at the death. How much of uh, that memory of the year before was an influence into the way you guys approached this game this time around? Yeah, you're 100 percent right. It was a it was a massive influence. I think um, last year we sort of let the the big moment sort of get to us and let the pressure get to us and didn't really express ourselves and play the game we wanted to. So coming into the the final this year, we really wanted to enjoy it. Um, you know, admit that the pressure was there as a team and just walk towards that pressure. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to play, um, enjoy ourselves, and not leave any stone unturned and. I think we did that, and and the boys had a lot of fun out there, and managed to managed to get the result, which is which is awesome. Well, you're massive underdogs. I think uh, everyone's favourite uh, in terms of form, anyway, and performance was uh, uh, Leinster. Uh, so, uh, how did you strategise to go about knocking them down? 
Um, yeah, we, yeah. And everyone, pretty much most people's eyes were the underdogs, but we, um, we took a lot of confidence from beating them last year in the semi-final and we knew um, if we, you know, played to the level we know we can, if we defended like we know we can um, and put uh, Johnny Sticks, the likes of Johnny Sticks and, and their attack under pressure that um, we could have a chance. And I think uh, Ronan and the coaching staff had, a, had an awesome plan um, that the boys executed. We wanted to, um, we wanted to hold the ball and, um, not let you know the likes of Johnny Six and Jamison Gibson Park, you know, take over the game. So we wanted to starve them a ball and hold the ball ourselves. And like I said before, just um, have fun and, and and attack the game. And um, yeah, I think that's that's what we did. And our big boys are we got is, is crazy, and they managed to get us over the game line. And obviously, as backs, it just makes it a whole lot easier. So um, yeah, the coaching staff gave us an an, an awesome plan, and the boys uh, executed it well. Well, Ronan O'Gara actually is, uh, of course, pretty well known to New Zealanders, not just as a, a British Lion and an Irish rugby great, but, of course, he spent time with the, the Crusaders. For Ronan O'Gara, this is a real a real um, achievement in Season 1, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive. And I think, um, you know, he's been awesome this year. And even throughout the week leading up to final, his preparation for us was awesome. Like I said, um, we talked about the pressure and things like that. He's He's been there and done that as a player. Um, just like us, he lost his first two finals, and he's told us he told us leading up to the game that you know he just wasn't there mentally. Um, so he took learnings from that, and he's turned it into coaching. And you know he prepped us really well um, throughout the week uh, for the game, um, and also through the whole season he's been he's been awesome. And like you said, he went down to to New Zealand and spent a bit of time with Crusaders, and I think he's uh, you know he learned a lot there as a coach, and he's he's brought it back to us and. Obviously, being being Irish and having a bit of a rivalry with Leinster as, as a player, it's, uh, I think it was extra special for him as well. So, normally in a, a La Rochelle starting 15, we'd see at least uh, three Kiwi boys in there. Victor Vito, of course, Tawira Kerbalo along, alongside you. So, a real New Zealand spine there of, uh, of 8, 9, 10. Uh, they weren't there this time round. Yeah, they were two massive losses uh, for us, obviously, you know, what they've done in the game and um, they're a big, big parts of our of our team and our leadership group and things like that. So, you know, they were massive losses, but they were they were awesome throughout the week, just sharing their sharing their knowledge of big games as well and um, helping out the young boys because we had two really really young boys filling in for them one twenty one year old and and a twenty three year old halfback who I thought performed very very well. So, you know, Vic and T were were massive losses on the field, but the the knowledge and the the help they gave to the boys throughout the week and the preparation was uh, was second to none, so um, yeah, it was awesome to have those guys around the team for the week. So uh, just uh, a little bit about French rugby in itself, uh, uh, higher if I can ask you about that. So uh, the season's not over for you yet. You've, you've still got uh, plenty to play for. Yeah, so we're yeah we're going into a, the last round robin game this weekend. Uh, we've got a we've not we're not. Guaranteed a qualification yet for the final, so it's a, it's a big game for us. We're playing against Leon, who um, are not guaranteed qualifying as well, so they'll, they'll want to want to obviously win and win well to, to qualify. So um, you know, we were back at training today, focused on this game, and um, because you know the top fourteen is another massive, massive goal of ours, and um, it would just be awesome to, to to have a chance at maybe winning a double this season. So you know, we're we're looking forward to that game and. Hopefully, putting on a good performance and uh, qualifying for the for the finals.
Just just E-Hire for the people who perhaps don't understand um, the scale of French rugby or, or the length of the season. How, ma- how many games, if you played them all, would you, you, know, would you likely play in a, in a French rugby season as such? Um, oh, I found that I found that out the hard way. My first season here, my first season here, I was rolled out pretty much every week, and I, I I played 32 games my first season, and probably missed maybe three or four. So I think if you play all the games in both Europe and the French competition and finals, that it gets up to close to about 35, 36 games. So it's massive, massively long season. It goes for 10, 11 months throughout the year. You're playing through. You're starting the season in you know 30 degree heat. And then you go to the middle of December, January, you're playing in, you know, zero degrees, freezing cold at nine o'clock on a Sunday night. To the end of the season, you're back into summer again. So it's a, it's a massively long season. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a grind. Iho, you've, you've always had a passion for, for Maori rugby, uh, Hawke's Bay. You've always, uh, you know, been a bit of a homeboy as such in that regard. Um, how tough has it at times been living so far away from, from friends, from whanau, et cetera? Uh, to to pursue your dream, yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty tough with COVID as well. It's just made it that much harder to to get home. Like we, my wife and I, we haven't been home since uh, February 2019. I think that was for my my sister's wedding. So it's it's been a it's been a long time since we've been back home, and um, yeah, it's definitely tough. But um, you know, like like we're loving the French lifestyle at the moment, and. You know, we're just making the most of it while we can and um, loving the French rugby and everything it has to offer. But, yeah, we definitely we, – there's definitely some hard times missing home and missing family and all that. Uh, how close are you able to stay in contact? I know you've got so many of your friends, et cetera, playing rugby back here in New Zealand. How, how close are you able to, to stay with what's going on here? Yeah, I still still, still keep a keen eye on things. Like, I, I try and watch, um, you know, as much as the – Super rugby as I can, um, especially the New Zealand teams and my mates that are playing. So you know, I've definitely got an eye on on things back home, and still talk to still talk to a few mates here and there about you know how they find it back home, and trying to trying to get the old one to to come over to France and have a few more mates over here. But um, you know, I definitely still still enjoy watching New Zealand rugby and and what it has to offer. You're right in the thick of um, of the French players, of course, that will be part of the World Cup squad next year, which is, uh, of course, in France. If you look at uh, French rugby now, um, how big a challenge do you think it will be for the All Blacks? Yeah, it's French rugby at the moment is in, a, in, a, it's a, it's in an awesome, to- awesome time. They've got some unbelievable players. Like The depth of French rugby right now is, uh, I think, at an all-time high. And you can, only, that, you can just tell by... You know how well the actual French team is doing, and how well the the French clubs are doing in the in the Europe competitions as well. So, I think you know everyone's already you know been talking about the World Cup for the last you know a few months, and everyone in, involved in French rugby and over here is really looking forward to to having the tournament here. And I think um, you know there's nothing better than the the first game. I think is the French first All Blacks, and that'll be a massive, massive game, massive moment for the French team and for the whole of France. So. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a tough ask for the All Blacks, but you know, with New Zealand the All Blacks, they, you you know you can't write them off at all. They'll they'll obviously come over all guns blazing and and want to win the tournament as well. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'll be looking forward to to seeing what happens and can't wait to to, to see it. Well, you won't be watching it from uh, La Rochelle, I guess, or travelling from La Rochelle because uh, you've uh, you've decided to move on. Tell us about that. 
yeah, of uh, moving on to Toulon at the end of the season, which is um, pretty exciting for, for my wife and I. Um, it's going to be a big, big few months with, with baby on the way as well. So we're heading down there for the next three years. And um, by all accounts, it's a, it's a lovely part of France, you know, the south of France. And I think the club as well is in a, is in a pretty exciting time. Um, I've just started playing some unbelievable rugby towards the end of the season. And they've got a few few new signings for next year. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to to a fresh start and something a little bit a little bit different. A long, long way from uh, the Pulse and Banner, uh, and of course that's uh, being played this weekend <laughs> as part of uh, Napier Boys High 150th uh, anniversary celebrations over Queen's birthday back here. Uh, man, uh, you wouldn't have dreamed when you were playing the Pulse and Banner all those years ago against Palmer's North Boys High that uh, life would have panned out this way. I'm sure. Uh, you're 100 right. I- I didn't even think about, you know, leaving leaving home. You know, me, I was a little bit of a mummy's boy. I didn't really want to go anywhere else. So um, to be over here now, living in France, playing rugby, yeah, it's pretty special. But, um, yeah, definitely be keeping an eye on the, the sky blue this weekend. Hopefully they can get the job done. It's been uh, fantastic uh, catching up with you, mate. Um, I know you've got some very proud parents uh, back here who uh, – have been following your career, as have a lot of your friends and whanau, of course, uh, I've seen shots on Facebook of that of them gathered together on couches in the early hours of the morning. So great following back here. Uh, terrific that you've been able to do this and uh, realise the dream, mate. Good luck for the rest of the season uh, and also, more importantly, uh, when you travel down to, to London and have a fresh start. Great catching up, buddy. And summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, yeah. uh, Favourite part of the show for me this uh, off on every morning, and it will be, I'm sure, uh, this morning as well, with uh, Mark Watson and Guy Havelt as our guests of honour. And uh, Guy Havelt, if I can start with you, please. Uh, the fate of the Silver, Le- Silver Lake deal is set to be announced this afternoon by New Zealand Rugby following the vote. What's your gut feel here? Yeah, morning team. Uh, my gut feel is that it's going to go ahead. Uh, interesting that previously they needed 75% for support uh, for it to be given the all clear or for it to be ratified and, and, and made official, uh, although now that's been changed to 100%. So clearly Silver Lake feel like they want to have the entire backing of, of the provincial unions uh, to, to feel comfortable going ahead with this. I think that's a good sign. Um, if, if everyone's for it, you know, I think that that makes it a lot more um, a lot more easier, I suppose, for everyone to stomach. From a personal point of view, um, I think it's a no-brainer, really, uh, in the current climate of the world, but particularly in the current climate of sport. I don't think New Zealand rugby can continue to go the way they are going, um, and they desperately need some financial help in that regard. So uh, a real injection like this, I think, is a real no-brainer for the sport at the moment. So um, I hope and I expect that it will all be given the green light at some stage today. Good morning to Mark Watson. Mark, what's your feel on this? Yeah, look, I agree with Guy Havel. I mean, we're a small country, aren't we? We just simply don't have scale here. Um, we've got arguably the most powerful all-black brand in the world, or rugby brand in the world, but we need probably greater expertise to be able to leverage it, to be able to bring additional income in. Um, and clearly, I think that arguably probably lies in countries like the United States. Um, we probably could do a little bit more in Europe and around the world. I guess my concern is we need the all-blacks to be performing, and is it a little bit of... 
um, you know, to get the All Blacks before me, well, I already think rugby is, Dylan rugby is already too top heavy. It's too focused on the All Blacks. And yes, while initially there will be a flow down through to the provincial unions, and you know, I think it's what a million dollars automatically to the uh, 14 provincial unions, and then half a million dollars each to the other 12 heartland um, based unions. In the long term, are we going to continue to see financial support going to club rugby, going to provincial rugby? Because, you know, I think the model in this country have moved away from being rugby fans to all black fans. Um, I guess my other concern is how much of this money ends up going to the Players Association. Um, you know, there is a lot of money for our players to make overseas in the UK. The argument is, yes, but we want to retain them here. My counter-argument is, well, they've got no value until they've played a decent amount. They've got no real value overseas until they've played a decent amount of rugby here in New Zealand. And so, yeah, my, I just don't like the fact that the Players Association are grabbing such a... Uh, uh, such a sizable cut in all of this when I think there are other parts of rugby which um, I think resource put into them, particularly club rugby and provincial, and particularly the smaller unions. Yeah, and my worry is this, and I can't crystal ball gaze, I'm not very good at it, and I'm not quite sure if, if you guys are at all either, uh, Guy, but I just wonder how the game will look in 10 years, regardless of this injection of, of, uh, of a lot of money. I think that's a fair point, and I think we probably all have that concern, but I think we'd have that concern whether this money was here or not. Um, I think rugby is in a, a very precarious position at the moment in this country uh, and in other countries around the world for numerous reasons. Um, I think, um, you know, and I, and I don't know if, if money will, will help this at all, but, you know, I, I think I think the way that kids are playing sport is changing drastically and, you know, in 10 to 15 years' time, rugby might not be the most popular sport in the country anymore. In fact, I suspect it probably won't be. Um, you know, you're looking at sports like basketball these days, even even things like baseball are, are getting a lot more popularity. I'm not saying that, that baseball will take over, but basketball particular, particularly, a lot more kids are playing basketball uh, and, and, you know, other sports as well that, that maybe we hadn't really thought about in the past. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not very good at crystal ball gazing either. If anyone's seen my Twitter account, they'll know that half the time I get things wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think there's a real concern about the future of rugby in this country, and and I hope that something like this helps. But I don't think it's going to be the ultimate silver bullet. I think there's a lot of work for for New Zealand rugby and for rugby in general to do to keep public, to keep the kids, to keep the future interested. How do they get that money um, to work in that favour, then, Mark Watson? How, how, what can they do? I mean, you've got you're you're across a lot of sport, um, you know, participation at all levels. How do they how do they get kids wanting? And that's that's the crux of it. Colt sides are, are hard to find in rugby clubs. Uh, they, they are they're the future of the club. Colt sides are the future of the club. I, I know for a fact uh, here in Hawke's Bay, they are a damn t- tough uh, roster to fill these days. How do they get it? going back uh, uh, and turning it around in, in numbers capacity? First thing they do have to address is the whole concussion issue, and I'm not sure there's a silver bullet there. That is a really, really difficult one. Mums are the decision makers in the house when it comes to what kids sport play, and um, yeah, concussion is a really, really big issue. But look, I'll say this again. I think too much emphasis on schoolboy rugby has killed club rugby. Um, you know, club schoolboy rugby is now the stepping stone to higher honours, and the problem with that is a lot of schoolboy teams that are successful are often just 
really, really big kids who are mature earlier. And unless you're playing some club rugby um, and suddenly size no longer becomes a factor, then I'm not sure that your talent pool's always the best talent pool. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I, I actually, a lot of people will say this is very PC, but I actually quite like what North Harbour Rugby Union have done, and that's actually get rid of rep sides through those teenage years because, again, kids that make those rep teams are just big kids who mature earlier. I think that a lot of kids get to 16, 17, unless you've got parents in the background who understand how sport operates. Um, I, I think, you know, they think, well, I'm not part of the system, I'm going to give up because the picking order at school is the picking order later in life. And that we all know that is not necessarily the case. And so I quite like this whole, you know, if you are going to pick rep teams, pick rep teams that are, well, you know, for some of the lighter weight kids so that you still can and put as much emphasis on that because, you know, I think a strength of New Zealand rugby historically is that we've always developed the skill set and then looked to build the player. But the other factor, too, is we've got to bring enjoyment to the game. It's got to be enjoyable, doesn't it? It's got to have some fun. And also, you need you know, you know, need heroes. You need the All Blacks to keep winning. But the problem is that New Zealand rugby, as I said, we've moved from a model of being, um, you know, moving from fans to All Black fans. And now we're starting to see the All Blacks saying, oh, look, we've got 15 tests to get it right before the World Cup. We're then reducing rugby now down to once every four years. And I'm just not sure that is the best way of going about it either. Just quickly on Guy Havelt's point, I know you've got news you've probably got to go to, but I was just mm. talking to John Ackland, mm. rugby league legend. He's teaching at St. Peter's College. He said, look, the same issues in rugby league, but he said at St. Peter's, if you built 80 basketball courts, you'd fill every single one of them to be a concern for amazing. rugby and other sports, such as the popularity of that. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we, we will go to the news now. You're right, Mark, but uh, when we come back... Uh, another couple of uh, issues um, uh, around golf and uh, around cricket as well. Uh, but we'll uh, pop across to the newsroom with Aroha as we get ready for part two of the panel. The panel. Yeah, part two of the panel now. We have Guy Havelt and Mark Watson with us this morning. Guy Havelt, let's uh, look at the PGA and uh, more in particular at the LIV circuit about to begin. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden news coming through that Greg Norman has managed to uh, nail down the signature, it seems, of Dustin Johnson. Now, that is a big name. That is a huge name. I, I was I was really shocked by this when I first heard it. Uh, I think dating back to either February or January, there was a statement from Dustin Johnson's agent saying that Johnson is committed to the PGA Tour and wouldn't be going to live golf. Well, uh, it's amazing how things change so quickly, isn't it? Uh, the, the the fascinating thing for me is, um, you know, this guy earns, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars probably across his career, certainly tens of millions a year. Uh, so I just don't really see what the point is in him going. I note a few people on, on Twitter and, and in the media in general saying that, you know, Johnson's never really been interested in, in, in a legacy or in records or anything like that. So... I suppose for him, money probably is the big motivator, and if that is the case, then, then fair play to him. Um, but I'm disappointed. I, I liked watching Dustin Johnson play. I, I don't think I'll really give two hoots about live golf. I might watch an event or a round or an hour here and there, but I really don't think this thing's going to take off. And saying that, for for the likes of some of these amateurs who, have say, who are saying that they're going over and for for some of the, the journeymen, for want of a better word, on across both the European and, and PGA Tours, for them this makes complete and utter sense. I mean, they've been plugging away on these two tours for years. Some of them have barely made, in the grand scheme of things, any money. 
um, obviously they fork out for so many expenses and that sort of thing. So at the end of the day, a lot of these guys take home money is actually pretty small. So for them, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I'm, I, I was shocked. I'm pretty disappointed uh, that Dustin Johnson is going. Um, I think it's a loss for for the PGA Tour, I, I dare say that they will crack down pretty hard on this, um, and 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 I applaud them in doing that. Yeah, I do too. Actually, um, not that I begrudge anyone going to make money if you're a professional in what you do, uh, and this seems to be relatively easy money. Uh, Mark Watson for even those guys that finish last, looking like about a hundred thousand or hundred thirty thousand US for finishing in last spot. So it's a given the money side of it. What do you make of it? I'm with Guy. I'm all about legacy. I'm all about um, the intangibles. You know, I, I you know, it's like win Wimbledon. Um, you know, win the Masters in golf. Um, you know, and I think if you win all of those, you know, you can grab the money in the short term. I mean, how how big does your house need to be? How many cars do you need to have? I, I mean. You know, I, I, I sit here, I, I sit here, I'm overlooking Muraway Beach at the moment, modest sort of house, okay, and I've got something that maybe Dustin Johnson will never have, and that's enough, you know, and I think that's a decision people need to make. When is enough? I mean, how much money do you need? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how about you, uh, Smithy, but I've never lived in, I've really only ever lived in my lounge, the kitchen, my sort of bedroom and my bathroom. I've often never been into the other bedrooms with the kids and everything else occupied. So I always struggle with that one about just taking the money. And I think later on you regret it. You look at the great sportsmen, even yeah, including yourself, um, Smithy. I mean, after your career, your the phone has always rung for you because of what you achieved on the cricket field. You've managed to make a living off the back of what you did as a cricketer and you've become very, very good at it. And I think that's sometimes something that these players need to be reminded of. Is your phone going to ring when you hit 45, when you hit 50, when you are past your best? How are you going to be remembered? Mm. And I think your belief systems in your 20s and 30s is very different to your belief systems in your 50s and 60s. Oh, thanks for the thoughts. Well, uh, thanks. Yeah, sorry, if, Guy. If, um, if, if, if Dustin Johnson hadn't been named in this, it would have been a complete and utter failure. I mean, yeah, there are guys like Sergio Garcia, there's Lee Westwood, there's Ian Poulter, but with all due respect to them, they're not going to pull in the crowds, they're not going to call in the viewers. I don't think people will miss those particular players. And then you look down at, and I think there's Andy Ogletree, who's ranked 1500th in the world or something, mm-hmm. who's, um, you know, one of the guys that they're putting up as a success story. Well, you know, if you don't have Dustin Johnson there, to me, that looks like a, a massive failure. And, um, you know, I, I, I really don't think this is going to take off that wildly. I just wonder, you know, and, and thanks very much too for your kind thoughts there, uh, Mark, but I just wonder too, and this is left field, this is so left field this, it's probably so crazy. Uh, his father-in-law is Wayne Gretzky, the great one. What kind of environment? I mean, you know, we're talking about uh, an all-type pressure achieving type uh, life that, that Dustin Johnson lives um, I just wonder if there's there's anything in that at all. Well, I won't even ask you for your opinion on that. I just thought of it, actually. But anyway, I'll ask you for an opinion on this, guys. Um, tonight, uh, of course, um, it's been a date on the calendar I'm looking forward to. Lord's always is. But when we're involved and when Baz is involved, uh, Mark Watson, um, how do you feel about it? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm a little unnervy. I don't like the fact that IP go and play that. In, and I understand it's going back to the argument we've just had. I should be getting yourself in the best state to play test cricket, which is so far removed from T20 cricket. So I'd be a little bit concerned about the likes of Kane Williamson's. We need to rely on, um, you know, for us to win this test series, Conway Williamson and Daryl Mitchell at the moment need to certainly perform. But clearly, look, England, um, 
you know, they've got no Archer, no Wokes. They bring back Broad, they bring back Anderson. I love Jimmy Anderson. Uh, they've got some questions, though, over Zach Crawley. Um, I think Ollie Pope, Alex Lees. Um, and so, look, I think it's, I actually think it's a fairly balanced series. I would ignore what happened in Australia with England and the Ashes. I think they will be a better side. I think automatically, even just Brendan McCullum here, I think he will just bring that intangible immediately. I think these players will just feel a little bit taller when they do walk out there. I think they feel like they've got the backing of a guy they don't want to let down. So, look, if if I'm a betting man, I'm actually going to go, I'd go in as England as slight favourites in this first test. Mm. Totally agree. Um, I, I really do think they. I know it's odd to say, but I think they're favourites. Um, Anderson and Broad, I think, is one of the reasons why. I, I think they'll fire up Guy Havelt. I completely agree. I was absolutely stunned when they weren't used to their um, to their ultimate in, in in Australia, and I think that was one of the downfalls. Obviously, the batting wasn't great for England either. But in talking about that batting, I think what they've done with that, you know, top to middle order. Uh, obviously, their openers are, are very shaky, and I think that's where the Black Caps can, can get on top early. But in saying that, I like what they've done with Ollie Pope at three. Uh, then you go to Joe Root, Johnny Bairstow, and Ben Stokes. So I think that's a pretty good two, three, four, five, six, uh, and, and one that, that, that could cause the Black Caps bowlers a few problems. And then you look at the Black Caps batting, and I don't know, just without Ross Taylor and, and, and probably now without Henry Nichols, even though... Daryl Mitchell looks like he will play in Nichols' place, and I don't think it's a bad swap as such. Um, but I don't know. There's just a little bit of uncertainty for me in, 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 that, in that Black Caps batting at the moment. I think we saw uh, in the home summer here that they were shaky at the best of times and um, were pretty disappointing um, at the worst of times. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with both of you. I think England are suddenly favourites. I'm really excited to see what Brendan McCullum can do with this team and just that combination of McCullum and Stokes, I think, just instantly makes them a more exciting prospect. I know, um, you know, they won't make, well, they, they probably will make some immediate impact, but I don't think we'll see the full potential of that impact for a wee while yet. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that duo. And, and as you say, Smithy, any test match at Lords, particularly when it features New Zealand, uh, bring it on. I think I will be getting a minimal sleep over the next few weeks, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's something to, to wake up for this, uh, or stay awake for too. Uh, Guy, here's an interesting one. We, we talk so much about Baz going to coach England, and of course he is now, and uh, the, the fact of, a, of one of our greats going to coach over there. All of a sudden we hear through the grapevine, it's still unconfirmed by New Zealand cricket, that an Australian... Ben Sawyer, assistant coach for the Australian women's cricket team, is now the coach of the White Ferns guy. And by my reckoning, that is the first overseas coach they have had. I believe it is. I, I, I believe you're right. And I actually applaud it. Look, um, I have a lot of respect for Jacob Oram, but uh, considering how the White Ferns have performed in the last few years, and particularly at the World Cup, uh, I think it would have been a, a, a terrible mistake if they had have continued on with the same people that they had throughout that tenure. I think it's a terrible mistake. And, and I think, as I said on the panel last week, I, I think it's just appalling that, that Bob Carter still has such a big say in what happens with that team. So I'm happy that it sounds like someone is coming in from the outside. Ben Sawyer has obviously been with a pretty hefty team in terms of Australia. He's seen how they go about things. I think he'll bring some pretty interesting um, ideas and theories and ways of, of playing the game to this team. I think it's a great move. Um, as I say, I, I, I think it would have been a mistake if they hadn't have looked outside the current environment. So 
happy with that. What I would say is I guess I'm probably disappointed that there aren't any female coaches that, that, that were deemed to be to be up to this because I think we need to start moving in that direction a little bit. Um, I, I think uh, female athletes probably, um, probably, uh, you know, I just feel like a female, I don't know, in, in this day and age, I just think it's important to have um, women around women's teams. Uh, and I would like to see that depth in terms of women's coaching, um, you know, deepened a little bit in this country. So hopefully they can do that in, in some aspect, uh, whether it's through recent retirees or players who used to play for the White Ferns and actually bring some, some sort of, of some of that aspect into this team going forward. Yeah, I, I think uh, too, Mark Watson, I, it'll put a full stop on what's been a fairly long and drawn-out process uh, since we were bundled out of the Cricket Women's World Cup. Yeah, look, I mean, you look at the performances in recent times, it hasn't been great. Uh, look, I, I like the Australians. This guy has been very um, successful um, with the women's uh, big bash format over there. I think what he's been in four finals with the Sydney Sixers, 44 years of age. He's um, very well versed in coaching of fast bowlers, which I think was an area probably did a sound at the Cricket World Cup. But look, you know, the em- emphasis now still needs to go back on the players. Um, you know, sometimes I think we place too much emphasis on the coaches and there's not enough accountability on the players. Um, we've got rid of so-called some of the, what they perceive to be maybe players that are past their use by date. No excuses now. Uh, no different than, say, um, with the Black Ferns and women's rugby. Let's just get on with it. Let's just start performing. Uh, just in regards to what Guy said around women's coaches, I agree, but manufacture that process. That's going to take some time to bring more women cricket coaches through. And I think there's always a danger when you get caught up a little bit in identity politics. When our women's coaches start to come through, absolutely. Um, but at the moment, I just believe in whoever the best coach should be appointed, whether that be male or female. Good on you. Mark Watson and uh, Guy Havel have been on the panel this morning. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and your opinions. Uh, very, very highly valued. It is 10.43 here on SENZ. On SENZ. Yeah, good news for yesterday's multi. Casper Rood just got up and beat Holgate Rune, uh, so a dollar forty-five. So we did get home yesterday at three dollars forty-five, one and four sets actually. Uh, and the young kid was not all that happy at the end of it when they shook hands. But however, uh, that one's done and dusted, and Rude is on to the semi-final. Now, text uh, quite a few have come in. Brett has said Lords is great, but the Oval is so much better. Brett, what are you talking about? Lords is a fantastic ground. The Oval is just a big expanse for me. Nowhere near the same character about it. It's got a nice pavilion, uh, but the rest of it is all very new. Sorry, aesthetically, aesthetically, Brett. I'm not sure where you're coming from on this one, but thanks for your text anyway. Uh, Hi, Smithy, is there any chance you can get a golf expert on to talk about the uh, LIV or the LIV tour we've just been talking about? Now we have 40 names uh, of it who is playing on it, uh, and Dustin Johnson is a big name playing. Carl will try and do that. Uh, as it gets closer to the point, absolutely, we'll try and get it a, the definitive on how it's feel. The feeling uh, is it about the world? I try and get Greg Dorman on the phone, but he doesn't answer my callers these days. So I, I don't know why. I really don't know why. It's a bit upsetting. Uh, but however, uh, Smithy uh, from Graham, cut out of calling you uh, before, but I think we need to apply the three A's to this cricket test tonight: attitude, arrogance, and aggression. Uh, Wags is a must. No niceties with Baz until after the game, then enjoy a beer. Well, that uh, is a stone cold, certainly. There's a dollar one and dollar one and shortening that Baz will take his tribe in, into the New Zealand dressing room or vice versa. That will happen. Um, uh, someone else has texted and said, hey, just switched on. Uh, what's the pitch like for tonight? Well, I haven't uh, actually been able to uh, get an opinion on that. What I will say is that Craig McMillan did 
uh, said a couple of days ago. He said they had a green tinge about it, but uh, in in history, in those terms, uh, it does tend to brown off, and they they produce really good cricket pitches at Lords. There's a little bit about them. They always have their little uh, ridge or something in them, which makes it just a little bit more difficult. But um, I think uh, I think to be fair. Uh, New Zealand um, will enjoy the conditions and England will as well. Fair contest, fair surface, uh, fair, fair, what do you call it? Um, workbench, as they say, the, the cricketers these days. Uh, my test team, uh, says Scott, is Latham, Young, Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, Blundell, Henry, Southey, Patel, Wagner, Bolt. No, yeah, it would be mine too if Bolt was uh, fit, but I'm afraid he ain't fit to play, and that has been deemed the, the case. So. England have announced their side. New Zealand generally have uh, announced their side a day out from cricket test. Maybe they're just waiting for that that last morning, that last look at the pitch surface in itself, which I often think is um, is a bit of a, a bit of a concern. But I would imagine Gary Stead's gone to all his players and said, "You will be playing tomorrow," uh, and uh, kept us guessing, not them. Ten fifty one here on SENZ. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> yes, and... Uh I'm a real fan too of Louis Herman Watt, it's fair to say, who uh, engineers our breakfast show every morning but also keeps his finger on the pulse of racing, particularly uh, thoroughbred racing around the country, around Australasia actually. Uh, And uh, he'll know, of course, that there's races at Woodfall today beginning at 10 to midday, Louis. Smithy, you must have been up nice and early with that compliment and you must have heard me say you're the greatest New Zealand commentator of all time. It's a nice thing you've said to me. yeah, so it's, it's, it's a mutual sort of uh, mutual sort of love we have, that, Louis. I, I yep. know it, it stems from things that we can't really talk about on air, but uh, it's good. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> We're actually on a, a heavy eight today. Um, it was actually in the soft. Well, it's an eight, so yeah, it's not. It's again, we're still getting our head around these new track ratings. So at eight, it's not bottomless. It is a heavy though um, today at Woodville, and oh, it's you know you got the great kind of classic. Um, uh, Central District's trainers turning up and actually in, in race one though, uh, no not race one I've lost my bearings here, there is a horse today going around the stony one, here we go in race number four and the stony one owned by the Dennis Brothers it must be with the name like that um, Lowry Cullen in the Milan Park colours, it's $1.65 now so gee it's short, but seriously a progressive Piero Galloper um, three year old, the stony one should be doing damage and look we've been talking about it all morning Saturday, follow the money. Al Sharrick's barn is firing. It's ready to go. Just ask me in the wet. Tony Kemp in the ownership, of course, with Bruce Sharrick as well. Um, just ask me. should be too good at wait for age. Louis Herman Watt, uh, thank you very much on this Thursday morning. Time to head across to Pip Morris uh, on behalf of the TAB. Pip, racing uh, greyhounds today at Cambridge and Addington. Good morning, Smithy. You certainly is. I'm just about to head down to Cambridge, actually, to uh, call a couple alongside George Simon. So I was looking forward to that. I really like Let Love Rules. Really short, 150 in race three, but a nice little multi-maker for Tracy and Lisa Craig. I think they'll have a good day. In race number nine, the one Portland Timmy has been crying out for an inside alley, and he's at $8. If anyone's looking for value. And, of course, the Black uh, Black Caps later on this evening, Smithy. Conway still 
by far the most stats top New Zealand run scorer for the cricket and the most popular power play in any player to have a six in the first session on day one. And there's been five thousand dollars on England at two twenty, the biggest head to head bet so far. Mm. Interesting. Five thousand on England at two twenty. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a risk. I think it's a risk. Um, but uh, I think uh, if, uh, I think they're slight favourites for me. But five k's a big one. It's a big one. Good luck today with the calling with Georgie with uh, George Simon. You have fun, whatever. Uh, it is uh, coming up to eleven o'clock here on SENZ, and after the break, we're going to talk timber sports with a world champion. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Jack Jordan's moved over the other side. Ahead of Jason Lenz, it's going to be Jack Jordan taking this one down today. It's going to be a close one, and it's going so quickly here for Jack Jordan. Jason Lenz coming hard from the back end. One more driver, and it's going to be Jack Jordan! field and look at that I think those might be a little bit of a smile and some tears of joy from Jack Jordan how cool absolutely how cool was the commentary and how cool uh, was the achievement from Tamanui to Austria it's been an incredible ride for Jack Jordan uh, once a lot for the Taranaki Bulls now of course sheep and beef farmer who has also taken a real liking to the interesting world of timber sports the most amazing part of all of this is that the, the lumberjack uh, that Jack Jordan is won the Timber Sports World Trophy in his international individual debut last weekend. Yeah, debut. He's now back home on the farm and uh, joins us here on SENZ in the mornings. Uh, Jack, uh, a really good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jack, you've been back a few days. Uh, You've been able to let the events of the weekend uh, set in a wee bit. How does it sound for you when they say, and you've just heard it, you are the world champion in timber sports? Yeah, bloody unreal. Um, only got home yeah late last night, so I haven't, haven't had a whole lot of sleep. Um, pretty tired from it all, to be fair. But um, yeah, pretty incredible to go over there and uh, come away with a win like that. Yeah. What about the emotions? Uh, the play the national anthem. Uh, what was running through your head at the time? Oh, it was a fair bit going through my head at the time. Um, yeah, the emotions were quite high to sort of win in something like that, where I. Yeah, I, I guess I could, uh, over the years I've gone pretty good with the chopping, but not over all the disciplines like that. Um, and to put it together in, in an event like that against the best in the world, um, yeah, unreal. What were your expectations uh, going into it, Jack? Um, I guess I didn't have the old expe- expectations went too high. I knew that I could go quite well in that event, but knowing what I could do and going out and doing it sort of can be two complete different things. So I knew I could, um, yeah, could have a pretty good go at it, but uh, a few things had to line up to do so, I guess, yeah. Well, you've got a trophy, but uh, you've also got a, a ring, like the NBA guys, the Super Bowl guys get, a, a trophy ring. Yeah, yeah, old ring. I put it on my finger and um, I was flat out getting it off, actually. It's a bit tight. <laughs> How do, you, how do you reckon that'll go uh, when you wear that down to the local in Taranaki? You probably get probably get taken off, yeah. Back here, I'd say, buddy. People <laughs> worry about you using for fight or something. 
Great stuff, mate. What, what, you know, look, obviously, uh, a rugby player, you played for, for Taranaki, so you reached a, a pretty high level in that sport. Um, what attracted you across to, um, to, to timber sports? Um, I guess I always did wood chopping since I was about 12 years old, so always had that background. Um, and now that I'm not doing a whole lot of rugby, there's, I guess, more opportunities to um, do that in the way of sport. Um, yeah, so just got the opportunity to do that through timber sports. One athlete's got to go for that um, each year for New Zealand, and um, I qualified to do so this year. Yeah. So uh, just tell us about how you prepare. I mean, you know, physically, that sort of thing. Is it just like you're a raw-boned, hard-working farmer, like in the days when, like, Sonny and Dave Bolstad and Jeff Hockard and those guys were absolutely legends of the sport? They didn't have gymnasiums and things to prepare in as such. Is, is that the case for you? Do you just basically get out there and chop wood? Yeah, basically, that's the best kind of training that you can do. I would say that me going to the gym over the years, and like I did, did a fair bit at the gym before I went to this event, going to the gym certainly helped um, with strength and, and fitness, that side of things. But for this event, like talking to a lot of my mates in Australia, they've done the event quite a bit over there. Um, training for that they said you're better off just getting out and doing the actual event sort of three or four times um yeah three nights a three nights a week and just training hard for the event so let's look at the disciplines involved in winning this event um and you can perhaps talk us through them a, a wee bit for those of us who are, are not quite so initiated into the sport the stock saw the underhand chop the single buck and the standing block chop um, how do you approach those and how, how tough are they physically as an individuals? Um, as individuals, I guess if you're doing them on your own, they're not, not too bad uh, when you're doing it in soft wood. Like it, usually it wouldn't take, it'd take anywhere between 20, 10 and 20 seconds. Um, but when you start putting them events together and to be doing four of them at once, is like when I think of it, it doesn't sound real hard but like actually doing it it's probably 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 a lot of it's mental running between the disciplines and changing uh the swing and changing what your body's doing completely between each, each event i think that's what sort of uh stuffs you as much as anything yeah okay so you, you you look at that and when you put those four together just explain how uh, how that works in terms of the order of them and uh, you know the type, the, the most difficult one to complete. I'd say the four when you when you're rolling them together. Um, yeah, when you, yeah. So the the stock saw is usually well. That's always pretty easy because the first one you run over, cut the underhand. I never felt tired during the underhand. It wasn't until running back to the crosscut saw where yeah, that's where it really starts kicking. And every race doing the crosscut saw, that's when you felt buggered. Yeah. And coming over so you the sneak down up. block, usually, yeah. usually I'd go right, not like not too bad in the down block. But when you've got um, when you once you've done that single, you're you're buggered. You're you're completely different to what you usually be in that event. Yeah. Okay, so when you arrived in Austria um, and started to you know, get closer to the event as such, was was your name mentioned? Uh, I mean, you're up against uh, previous world champions, uh, Jason Lentz from the United States, uh, Aussie legend Brad Delossa. Um, <clears throat> were, were people talking about this fella from Taranaki? No, because I've never done uh, the individual event for the Timber Sports over there. I guess I was unknown in a way, so um, they hadn't seen how I uh, how I'd 
yeah, how I can cut or how I'd go. So, I, yeah, I was unknown. They didn't know. Like, even interviewing me, they're, they're asking oh, who you think's going to win. And, you know, asking <laughs> between Brad and Brad and uh, Jason Lentz from USA and Australia, they're asking how they were going to go. And it's... <laughs> It didn't worry me at all. Like it was, yeah, I thought it was bloody great them talking about them. Good on you, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> the fast, the fast. You set the fastest time of the competition in qualifying, fifty-eight point oh seven seconds. Did you surprise even yourself with that performance? No, not really. Like to be fair, without um, sounding yeah, without taking anything away from it, I sort of felt like through the event I didn't didn't go real good. I in that time where I cut 58 seconds, I went pretty good there, and I thought that I'd build on from that and sort of get better and better as it went on because that was the first time I'd um, competed at that format doing the four events. Like that was the first time ever doing it. So I sort of I did think that I was going to cut a bit better than that over there and maybe break the minute mark a couple of times. But um, yeah, I guess as long as you win, that's all you got to do. Yeah. So you, you beat uh, Jason Lentz by 10 seconds in the final. I mean, we're talking about a reigning world champion. 10 seconds in a, an event that takes uh, under a minute is a huge margin. Uh, you must have been relatively surprised at that. Yeah, I think, to be fair, though, like in watching it back, I think uh, once I come off, he sort of slowed right down. Like he'd, his heart was probably a little bit broken once I'd come off. And he, um, you could see he did slow right down just took his time doing the last few hits which blew it out two ten seconds but um yeah no it's sort of between the semi and the final I was quite surprised to uh come off before them guys and that I sort of felt like especially in the semi-final I'd I'd uh mucked up a couple of times I've made a few mistakes um and usually that's usually in something like that you've only got to make one one mistake to get pipped but um I was lucky enough to come away with a winning both of them which was um pretty incredible really yeah Two things I've often wondered about when when I watch the sport, and I used to watch it years ago when it got a lot more coverage back here in New Zealand. Uh, Jack was one. Um, is all? Uh, I mean, is wood wood? I mean, there's certain types of timber, I guess, but th- within those certain types of timber, there would be harder bits to get through than than others, wouldn't there? Do you have to be lucky? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, the wood can have a big part to play in it. These guys put a lot of lot of effort in to get the best wood possible and get the softest wood possible um this year i don't think it has the wood was as good or as soft as previous years um in that semi-final against brad we both had knots in our last standard block um which wasn't ideal but like the first lot of logs i had out for us uh brad had a knot and i had a good log so so that was sort of Hmm. That wasn't ideal, and they had no better logs to swap us. So in the end, they got through them logs out, and they give us both logs with big knots in them, <laughs> which was um, quite a hard case. But I guess I guess both of us had knots in, so I guess it's a little bit more fair. So the other thing, Jack, I've often wondered as well is, do you have an opportunity? I mean, here's a sport. It's a hell of an element of danger in here. You only have to look at what you're using, of course. Uh, do you get an opportunity to look at the opposition at any point? Uh, as far as what? Like, when do you mean by that? So when during the event, you're actually going one-on-one. Do you, do you have a look? Do you have the opportunity to see where they are and, and compared to you? Yeah, I guess like before the event, you sort of knew roughly um, how they could go off 
previous years and previous times that they've cut. So you could sort of, I wouldn't say you compare yourself to them, but you'd see how I was going in training through videos and compare it to their times and you'd sort of get a rough idea of how you're going. But um, we also had a training camp a couple of days before the event at um, Arvin Kugler's club over there. He's the Austrian competitor. Um, so we trained there with the Americans and the Canadian guys. So we sort of, not that you've really worried too much on what they were doing, but you've seen how they were going there too, yeah. So, okay then, uh, what now uh, for Jack Jordan and what's what's coming up in the world of timber sports for you? I probably should get back to doing a bit of work, I suppose. <laughs> probably start doing some work on the farm, I reckon. I um, haven't done a huge amount of that the past month. I've focused sort of mainly on competing and getting myself over there the best in the best shape that I could. Um, but, yeah, as far as timber sports go, I think um, going to the uh, Worlds for the team event in October, I'm pretty sure. Um, that's for that still team again. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will do quite a bit of wood chop in the next 12 months and sort of give myself the best opportunity I can to, yeah, yeah see how I go. Uh, Tokoroa's uh, Cleveland Cherry, I uh, believe, also claimed fourth at his first Timber Sports Rookie World Championship event. So, uh, what, what? That's a good sign for for uh, our, our X-Men choppers coming through, of course. Uh, what's the strength like in New Zealand these days? Yeah, pretty good in New Zealand. Um, I think we are like the amount of work that these other countries are putting in. I think they're gonna. Well, I'm worried that they're gonna. Sort of in the years to come, they're going to leap ahead. Like they put so much into the sport, training and the facilities that they have. Um, yeah, it's sort of it'd be interesting to see how they go in the next ten years. These other countries, but we're in a pretty good stead at the moment. Um, it's just worrying how much we put into it compared to what they put into it, basically. But yeah, certainly we're we're going pretty good at the moment. And, and Cleveland, he went real good over there. He was just a bit unlucky there towards the end, the way they run the event with the points um they sort of they double the points at the end and then the last event they triple it so up until them last two events he was well ahead and then he sort of yeah he got thrown right down the ladder just because of them last two events basically jack you've only been home five minutes um and it's still probably sinking in as you said but what about next year? Uh, where are the world championships? Uh, what about next year defending it? And and when are we likely, if if at all, to get them in New Zealand? I don't know. There's sort of been talk about getting them in New Zealand. Hopefully we can at some point, but it seems to always just be at the European countries, which, you know, as good as it is going over there, it's a bloody long way to go, and it'd be cool to get it, get it over here for the sport in New Zealand and, yeah, just to say it's been in New Zealand once. But, um as far as getting back there next year, I guess I've got to qualify for it again. That'd be a big thing. And if I can qualify, I'd be, yeah, certainly looking forward to going back and, and sort of putting up performances that I'll be a lot more proud of, if you know what I mean. I did have a couple of pretty poor run, runs, I thought, during it and was only lucky in them last two, last two events to sort of get the win there. I'd like to go back and put up some real good cuts, hopefully, yeah. Just on the the rugby side of it, Jack, uh, obviously not uh, involved in it to that great extent. Now, do you, you, have you had a reaction from uh, the rugby community, your, your rugby buddies? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone's been great back here, me mates, and, and everyone, yeah, the kind messages they've given me. Um, yeah, and even the support they had on me leading up to it, like, yeah, great mates. Fantastic result, mate. Absolutely thrilled for you. 
Um, it's been enlightening to find out a little bit more about your sport, uh, but what an achievement on debut. Uh, we salute you uh, as a world champion in this country and uh, hope you get to bask in it for a long time. Don't work too hard, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers, Jack Jordan there out of uh, Taranaki, a world timber sports champion. Uh, fantastic performance and you heard about uh, the, <coughs> all the things that can possibly go wrong in there and he got it exactly right to knock over reigning world champions and legends in the sport. Jack Jordan, extremely well done. It's 11.18 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Happy birthday to No one around the studio, it's no one's birthday around here and it's uh, no one that I know really that closely to be perfectly honest but every now and then I just flick through the famous birthdays, sporting birthdays for the day and uh, so I thought today might not be a bad one because there's uh, something in common about uh, two or three of these blokes that have got birthdays today. First one though, um, and Araha might even remember this guy's name uh, because he's a terrific motor racing legend from around the world, the great, the absolute great Kyle Petty. Past Kyle Petty on the outside. And here comes Musgrave. It's a three-horse scramble. Okay, Left car up ahead is Joe Nemechek. He won't be a factor. Labonte draws alongside of Kyle Petty's Pontiac. The Ford drops underneath. They'll come off turn four for all the money. Here comes Musgrave underneath Bobby Labonte coming off the corner. Dead heat coming down for the flag. It is a dead heat. Kyle job, Petty wins job, it. Bobby. Who finishes second? Kyle Petty there, uh, one of the great NASCAR men uh, around uh, the sport and uh, a legend uh, particularly in America. But closer to this side of the world, we're going to go to Australia now uh, for uh, a set of twins who were born on this day. Uh, in fact, the next three guys' birthdays we'll celebrate probably have got around about 60 test centuries between them. Uh, first up, though, it's the War Brothers. There was no sign of fatigue when the 400 partnership came up They'd broken the Australian record for a fifth wicket stand. Six runs later, the world fifth wicket stand was theirs. Then a double century apiece. But still, they went on, achieving their highest individual scores. And then with the stand at 463, the highest ever Australian batting partnership. Finally, with the New South Wales score at a massive 601, partnership worth 464, a declaration. Mark War not out 229, Stephen War not out 216. Wow, that is something, isn't it? Uh, out of New South Wales, uh, Sheffield Shield cricket, of course, but what they went on to do for Australia uh, was quite remarkable as well. Chalk and cheese, uh, you wouldn't think they were twins to look at them and to listen to them, you probably wouldn't either. And their attitude on the field was uh, so much different as well. One was so laid back, you thought he was asleep, feeling in the slips until he took a catch. The other one... Uh, was much more outgoing leader of Australia. Which brings me to leaders of Australia and staying with cricket. It's this bloke's birthday as well. And how much controversy has Steve Smith fitted uh, into uh, his career so far? Ashwin's got his man, Steve Smith, again. He knocked him over in Adelaide. And now he's knocked him over here. 
Ah, like it. Don't you like it? I, I mean, I, I wish him a happy birthday, but gee, Brian, didn't you do well getting out of his dismissal rather than one of his great moments in the game because he's one of those players we tend to love to hate. Nice to hear Warney in the background there as well. Isha Guha with the commentary. Uh, yeah, so that that's the thing. So I guess the moral of the story is here, if, if you're listening in Australia, uh, fathers, if you've got a baby due today, um, hurry it up because if you want your son to play for cricket for Australia and to be a world-class batsman, it uh, appears that June the 2nd is a lucky day to be born. So uh, tell um, uh, the, the wife uh, that that is the message. Born June the 2nd, outstanding chance to play for New South Wales and to play for Australia. Uh, thanks for that, fellas. That was good. Uh, okay, we've got some uh, texts to read out as well. Uh, Jared has said, uh, I've seen a few texts in Smithy recently and no mention of them. I hope I haven't done anything wrong. No, Jared, we try to read as many as we can out uh, throughout the day. And uh, I've got this one from you. My gut feeling is that we will lose the first test against an energised England team under the new captain coach. Also playing at home and on the back of disappointing recent tests is concerning for the Black Caps. I agree. I'm not sure how much confidence we've uh, got knowing that we've uh, been knocked over by Bangladesh and our last performance is uh, often regarded as the one you look at the most and of course we were well beaten by South Africa in and, and that one too. So trending down a wee bit, aren't we? Uh, not down as far as England. So uh, a lot of people have come in and said, in fact, um, uh, Liam has come in and said, Smithy, I'm not sure why everyone is saying England favourites. They have an old bowling attack, an extremely fragile batting lineup. McCullum has only been with the team for less than a week, hardly enough time to turn a, a team around. And that's only one, one test in the last 17. Well, Liam, you're absolutely right. If you look at the numbers in that regard, um, you're, you're spot on. Uh, we, we should be favourites in a lot of people's thinking, and I guess uh, we are. Uh, it's just um, when uh, I look at it, I just worry a little bit about where England are at, and I think that makes them very dangerous, very, very dangerous indeed. Uh, and I, I just I think the toss is crucial. Uh, I, I think the negating of Anderson and Broad early on is particularly crucial. Uh, if we can see off that new ball, that new Duke ball, and Anderson and Broad have had nothing in, against their name in the wicket column, it's a large, large plus for us. So that will be crucial. And, and our ability to uh, break through their new top three, their batting lineup, their top three, Lees, Crawley, and uh, of course, uh, Ollie Bell, who I, I, I uh, Ollie Pope, sorry, Ollie Pope. I, I've got no idea, uh, too much idea about any of those players actually. So there's an opening right from the get go. Uh, James has come in, Smitty. How unlucky was Nisham to miss out? Thought he was a better option than Colin. You know, actually, James, two to three years ago, I totally agree with you. Uh, Jimmy Nisham, immensely talented cricketer, um, but just uh, drifted off the pace a wee bit. Whether it was for bad performance or where they just uh, preferred to do other things in life and focus on that a wee bit and just lost his spot to Colin de Gronholm who came in and um, <clears throat> initially did very well with the ball and then backed it up with some decent innings as well. So Jimmy Neesham, I'm not quite sure. I mean, he's not on the contract list anymore. I'm not quite sure where his future is. Certainly uh, there's a spot somewhere for him in the media and he just seems to be a natural in that regard. So uh, yeah, Jimmy Neesham probably lost to the Black Caps in terms of test cricket. Uh, we'll see about the T20 at the end of the year and uh, perhaps potentially 50-over cricket as well. Uh, Brian has come in and said, uh, Hi, Ian, listening to that bloke being Jordan, Jack Jordan, uh, the, the world timber sports champion, makes me want to crack open a beer, the quintessential Kiwi bloke. Well done, him. Get him back on. Uh, extremely good. And uh, Logan just tells me, actually, uh, where he lives uh, on the farm in uh, Taranaki, 
didn't have uh, reception for us actually had to climb up a hill so he could talk to us this morning so and he's just only, only just got home so it's the kind of bloke that he is uh, would Borden Anderson be in the team without all the injuries uh, with the English bowlers says Pete I think they probably would I think they probably would be the first two picked uh, and Ben Stokes uh, he, he summed that up right from the outset actually I want those two guys in my side as soon as he said that uh, he was going to get him. No, do do it two ways about it. So yes, I think I think uh, they they would be in the side even um, if the other guys were fit. And I think Jofra Archer would have been in there as well. And he's a big loss for England. Absolutely a big loss uh, for out and out raw bone pace. Chris has come in on the back of uh, Pip Morris saying there's been a huge five thousand dollar bet on England to win the first Test match. And Chris, very tongue in cheek, I ha- hasten to add here. Baz is already dropping 5k of that massive salary on an England win. Very, very funny. I appreciate that, and Baz would too. It is 11.31 here on SENZ, slightly late for the news, uh, but still time to tell you to get on the phone and say, uh, Stump Smithy, 0800 150811. 100 bucks up for grabs today. 100 bucks plus the sleep drops. Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, just after 11.30 news here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And that does mean it is time for Stumped. And after yesterday's Stumping by Smithy, up for grabs today is a $100 TAB bonus bet. Plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us first at the crease, Smithy, we have Luke from Dunedin. Come in, mate. Good morning. Good morning. G'day, Luke. How are you feeling this morning? <laughs> so uh, it's a nice day in Dunedin, so I'm feeling pretty good. Lucky. Good on you. Confident. Okay, right, here we go. Uh, Logan, what are the subjects? $100 today up for grabs from the TAB, plus the sleep drops. Uh, Logan, what are we talking about? Or what are we uh, quizzing about today? Oh, he's, he's feeling lucky today, says Luke. Here we go. Uh, today's topics are cricket, baseball, and rugby league. Take your pick. Uh, we'll go rugby league. Mm. Okay, here we go. Good luck. See how we go, uh, Smithy. Let's go. Who is the current leading try scorer in the NRL this season? Um, I'm going there. The store is it Coates? One of the worst things Xavier. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ah, sorry, mate. It is not Xavier Coates. Smithy, over to you. Josh Adokar. One of the worst things I have ever oh, seen God. done on a cricket field. I think the Fox is off the radar a little bit, being at the Bulldogs this season. It is. It was Melbourne Storm, but it is Ryan Pappenhausen with uh, 12 tries. You were close, mate. You were close. Xavier Coates has 11, so he uh, he was next in line there. Uh, Still alive, though. Uh, Second question. Sticking with some NRL stats, who's leading the league in drop goals? I'll go Hastings. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Go, Smithy. Uh, Okay. Reynolds. One of the worst things I have ever seen done Sean on Johnson, is it? Hey, both good guesses. Both good guesses. Very solid in the halves there. No, and, and it's not SJ either, you'd think. You'd think it'd be SJ because he slotted two. Nico Hines from the Sharks has three. 
Wow. Okay. Good luck. Yeah, good luck to him in the state of origin. Last question. Everything's still on the line. $100 from the TAB and the sleep drops. Luke from Dunedin. Lucky Luke, perhaps. Starting in the mid-2000s, Queensland went on an impressive uh, run of form to win state of origin year in, year out. But in what year did New South Wales finally break their title drought? Was it 014? Sorry, can you say that again? It was 2014. That's not a couple of chips, no, no, wicket. No, 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 no. No, Luke. No, Luke. I mean, you got that. You, I mean, you, you're a bit of a naffy on State of Origin. You came up with that very, very quickly. I heard it. I heard it earlier in the week. Somewhere. Somewhere. Oh, oh. mate, you've just won yourself a hundred dollars worth of a TAB vouchers. Uh, of course, you've also won the sleep drops. You've uh, had a bit of a bonanza oh. today. Uh, Highlanders, uh, Highlanders this weekend. Have they got any chance to, of getting attracting any of your money? Oh, I don't, not the beginning. None of my money. But um, you know, it's knockout football, so anyone's got a chance. And the cricket tonight. We've got to get uh, an opinion off you. How, how you think the cricket's going to start tonight? Oh, I think Baz is going to have a fairy tale start. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Uh, just uh, here's another human interest question for you. Okay, um, if if uh, I, I posed the, the subject this morning that Baz, we, we we really feel about this because Baz was such a superstar on the field of play for us. We feel like you know we almost own a bit of Baz. If say Richie McCaw was coaching uh, the Wallabies against the All Blacks this year, would we would we view it differently to Dave Rennie? Ooh, that's a good question. No, I don't reckon. I mean, we, you don't think so? I mean, we feel like, you know, Richie is Richie. I mean, Richie is a quintessential one of us, for God's sake. To have Richie, uh, our greatest ever All Black in a lot of people's minds, and our greatest ever leader, to all of a sudden coach, um, and, and compare that to, say, Baz being the coach, as opposed to, say, I don't know, um, someone who's uh, achieved a lot less in the game. Um, uh, Peter Fulton going to coach England. Or, you know, he's, he's got a background in coaching. Uh, it, does it feel any different because of the profile of the person itself? Well, yeah, potentially it does because well, Baz, Baz has probably been a bit more out there than Richie and, and is more of a, you know, he's been on the radio, he's got more of a connection with the, the whole community outside of cricket. So mm. he's, he's, maybe, that's, maybe that's the angle why people might perceive it as being okay, if they do. Yep. Probably do. Uh, actually, a lot of people uh, don't mind about it, but uh, uh, a few do. A few do. A few are quite precious about our assets, and uh, we kind of think that people like Baz and Richie uh, are that, assets that uh, we should have and no one else should have. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, that's just by the by. Luke, you've done extremely well today out of us, and uh, I hope you enjoy your prize. And stay on the line, and Brian will get your details. Cheers, Smithy. Thanks, mate. It is uh, 11.40 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, we shall have our Greyhound pick for charity um, and perhaps a couple of other thoughts as well on stories around the world. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run.
Yeah, that's uh, the Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. Uh, of course, uh, we're in it every week, and uh, our show this week, uh, the mornings, uh, our charity Women's Refuge has uh, a dog by the name of Mustang Charlie going around for us tomorrow. Uh, that is at Palmerston North, race seven, number two. Its form is outstanding, and we're looking to add uh, another bit of money to our $1,010 we already have raised for that uh, very worthwhile charity. Now then, uh, it's always interesting when you go to uh, practices for cricket tests. There's always a lot of people that uh, like to hang around at the back of the nets or even uh, get even closer to that and, and uh, just see what's going on, maybe get a hint as to who's playing and who's, uh, who's hitting it well, who's bowling, um, and maybe get a bit of a snip of, of gossip floating around. Uh, lots of people do that, and, and uh, over the years some interesting people have done that, and uh, our understanding is, and we've just had information through, that um, the New Zealand team, the Black Caps, had a very interesting spectator uh, last night at their uh, previous uh, or their final hit out. Uh, and it's a bloke who's had uh, some pretty good success of late and has been in the news. Fella by the name of Fox was at our practice. This is my first time to Lords, and obviously we're standing on the hallowed turf right now. So, you know, to feel a, you know part of the team a little bit today, get to get to see them train, and um, I even got a couple of throwdowns from Devon Conway today. Today, so it was um, it's been pretty special, and um, you know, I know a couple of the boys personally as well. Um, so just to just see them in action up close has been cool, and I'm certainly looking forward to supporting over the rest of the week. Cool, and uh, a lot of the guys are fans of you and the golf out there, and likewise, how cool is it for Kiwi sports people to be able to mix? And, and when they're out on the road? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, um, I think we're a pretty small community of Kiwi sports people and um, I know everyone follows everyone. Um, and yeah, just to, to see the boys, I know a lot of them play social golf. I saw a couple of golf swings on the on the turf today in practice. So, um, you know, I think they're looking forward to a couple of days off playing some golf up here as well. So, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's, um, you know, yeah. Everyone, everyone gets looks after everyone, follows everyone, and um, you know it's cool for me today just to, to feel a little bit of a, a part of the team. Mean Foxy, and uh, yeah, good luck US Open and British Open on the horizon, eh? Yeah, next event for me is uh, the US Open in a couple of weeks, and then uh, got a few big events coming up: Irish Open, Scottish Open, and then the Open at St Andrews, the 150th, is a pretty special one. I know you were there for the one in 2015, um, and St Andrews is, I guess, the equivalent of Lords, and that you know it's the home of golf. Um, you know, it's, it's just got something special about it and I'm certainly looking forward to getting back there. But first of all, I'm looking forward to being here on over the next few days. Kiwi golf star Ryan Fox there, of course, um, and uh, our understanding is that he had the full garb on as well. He was ready to go. Uh, and you'll be able to see that. Uh, I'm sure New Zealand Cricket will launch that on their social websites. Uh, so look out for that and probably I would imagine there might be something on the news there. Willie Nichols, actually, who's the... New Zealand uh, Cricket media, media Liaison Officer for, uh, for the Black Caps in particular uh, was the, the young fellow asking the questions here. Does a great job, does uh, Willie. Um, some texts uh, have just come in as well about uh, the cricket. Uh, Jim, has, uh, Jim from Tamuka has said, uh, Smithy, it was an insightful comment Baz made. Don't worry so much about bowling economy. Go for wickets. With the toss of the coin and the English summer weather, uh, you will see you do well, I think. There you go. So uh, with that philosophy, Jim, uh, you're absolutely right. And that is the absolute philosophy of Brendan McCullum. Uh, even in white ball cricket, let's try and get someone out. Every ball, let's try and get someone out. Forget about holding them, holding the pace. Let's just try and get them out. Uh, so there's that. Uh, another text has come in and said, Lords is a great ground smithy for 20 quid two years ago. I walked down and spent a fabulous day watching England play Ireland. 
fantastic, all right. It is a great feeling. And they, they talk about the hallowed turf, but it's more, for me, the atmosphere. It's just what you feel around the ground, the politeness of everybody, uh, you know, the, the standards of dress. It, it's, it's, not a, uh, it's a party. I mean, when you saw the World Cup in 2019, that was a party. That was a special party, but the game itself dictated that. Test cricket itself is, is just so different at Lords to it, even it is across the Thames at the Oval. Just a different feel altogether. And my final text I'm going to read out for that is the most defining one of the lot. Very brief from Tony, who says, England will choke. Go the Black Caps for life. We'll leave it at that. Staffy next. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.